Good morning, Westside Family Church. It is so great to see you. How about those Chiefs? Woo! Yeah. How about Coach Reed's mustache? Yikes! Hey, speaking of sports, about 30 years ago, I was playing basketball in our church gym in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area where I was a pastor, and I was down by the net, and I jumped up as high as I could to get the ball, and when I came down, something went south in the lower part of my back. And, uh, well, it turns out after an MRI that uh, I had a bulging disc in L5-S1, and I thought to myself, this can't really be a big deal, really, because the disc is only one inch in diameter and a quarter inch thick, so how could this be a big deal? <laughs> well, it turned out to be a really big deal. Uh, it, apparently, uh, this sent a message to my brain, and my brain sent a command to the area around my lower back uh, for the muscles to tighten up so as to protect the disc. So they tell me uh, the hamstring is one of the largest muscles in your body. My right hamstring uh, tightened up so much that for six months I literally walked perpendicular. Uh, and uh, also because the disc had pulled out and there was some inflammation, the disc was pushing up against my sciatica that was going all the way down to my foot, which hurts as much or equivalent to childbirth. Well, maybe not that much, ladies, you know, but it hurt like, it hurt like heck. And uh, for this period of time, I could not exercise, I could not walk, I could not sit for very long, I could not stand for very long, I could not work at my job, I could not work around the house, and I think worst of all, I really could not play or pick up my children, all because of a little donut-like rubber disc that decided to pop out. And I have to tell you, I will never in my life underestimate the importance of these discs in my back, even though I cannot see them. Can I get an amen for those of you who have experienced that, right? So you say, Randy, why are you sharing this experience? I'm sharing this experience because this is precisely how God has wired the church as a matter of fact, many times in the New Testament, the church is referred to as the body of Christ. What does that mean? It means that we are all body parts. Yeah, all of us are different body parts, and we should not underestimate the importance of any part of the body. Today, in week two of our Masterpiece series, uh, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. We touched on it last week. Today, we're going to dive a little bit deeper so that you might understand and answer the question, what part of the body am I? So if you have your Westside app, I'd encourage you to open it up today because there's a lot of notes and scriptures and things that you're going to want to refer to uh, and open up your Bible as well. But I want to... Uh, talk about five principles related to the topic and the practice of spiritual gifts. I want to dive right in. The first principle is this. God did something new in us the day we received Christ into our lives. He did something new in us. Not only did he forgive us of our sins, but something new was implanted in us. Now, that new thing could be something completely new that wasn't there before, or it could also be the uh, renovating or the repurposing of something that God put in you when you were formed in the womb of your mother, 
uh, that's either going to be repurposed or it's been sitting latent and it's been awakened. Now, what would that be for you? If you go back, if you have received Christ, uh, were you aware of this principle and can you identify, was it something new or is it something that's being repurposed or renovated? Uh, as I think back in my story, uh, I uh, came to uh, the church for the first time, grew up in an unchurched family at the age of 14 and a half. And uh, one thing about me is that, uh, that you don't know, I was extremely shy, introverted, very unsure of myself, very agreeable with people. Uh, so much so that six months later, uh, Roseanne's family uh, came to the church a church of about 300 people on a good day, about 20 to 30 kids in the youth group, nothing like the size of our student ministry here. And Roseanne was having boyfriend problems, and uh, someone said, you ought to go talk to Randy about this. And Roseanne said, who's Randy? She had been there for an extended period of time in a small youth group. And she did not know that I existed. Yeah. But then when I became a believer, I didn't know it. It, it seemed as though something new started to emerge. So that by the age of 16, I was the official choir director for the church. Like the big church service. Yeah. I was the choir director and uh, I still have, uh, uh, as a reminder to where I got started, I still have the uh, office sign. I had an office at the church at the age of 16. And here's a picture of, uh, if you don't, uh, don't know about it, here it is right there. That's literally a sign. Randy Frazee, first job at the church, age 16, choir director. Right? Okay. Here we go. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Shout the victory. Yeah. I don't know where that even came from. But it appears to me, uh, after looking at the choir that was at 10 people and at the end of the year was 40 people, that God had put in me a, a new thing, like a gift of leadership uh, with inside of me. It was a a brand new thing. And Roseanne ended up being my lead alto in the choir, and uh, I needed to spend extra private sessions with her <laughs> to help her, particularly when we were doing ooze. I was teaching her about how to do ooze. <laughs> so here's the deal. At the end of the day, I became a follower of Jesus. Not only did I discover that God did something new in me, gave me a gift of leadership, but I got the woman at the end of the day. That's pretty sweet. Can I get an amen? But here's the thing. Our gifts do not sit in isolation. They do not sit in isolation. Principle number two, God places us in the body of Christ so that our various gifts can work in harmony to accomplish the full will of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, Paul writes, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. 
Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, uh, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. In the language of my world, the leg and the hand and the feet cannot say to the L5-S1 disc, I do not need you. You will be sorely mistaken if you underestimate its value. Number two, we learn, as Paul taught us here, when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. Oh, I know that full well. My whole body was suffering as a result of this little tiny disc. And the third thing we recognize is that it takes all of the parts of the body working in harmony with one another to fulfill the full will of God, which is why we have been left here on earth after we received Christ as our Savior. Now, for principle number three, assuming you have become a follower of Jesus Christ, you have received him into your life, the third principle I put in the form of the question, what new thing did God do in you? What new thing? You may not be aware of it yet, but this is the goal of this series, is to help you become aware of it, for it, if it's sitting latent within you, to wake up. Now, there are 14 uh, gifts in the New Testament, and what I'm going to do is I'm literally going to put them on the screen one at a time, and as I put them on the screen, if one of them, like, yeah, that, that's kind of me, uh, make a note of it. Maybe write it down. Maybe upwards to three of them. And identify which one you think is the strongest. Okay, you may. Yeah, let's, let's try it out. Okay, the first one is the gift of leadership given to us by the Spirit. This is a person who runs on the team, runs point on the team or project, is a visionary. Uh, the gift of administration is one who organizes, directs, and implements plans. Is that you? Next one is the gift of teaching, someone who communicates and instructs clearly and effectively. Maybe that's you. The gift of knowledge and wisdom is a person who has the ability to translate truth into life application. The gift of prophecy, insight into what is really going on in the lives of people and in things in our world. The gift of exhortation. You have the gift of encouraging people, but you also have the gift of telling them the truth. The gift of shepherding, you genuinely care for and nurture people who need it. The gift of faith, maybe this is you. You trust God at his word and put the full weight of your life in his hands. It's a gift that you have. The gift of evangelism, simple. You share your faith. You can't help it. It's in you. The gift of apostleship. You oversee big movements and start new things. The next one, maybe this is you, server, helper. You help where you are needed. You don't care what the assignment is. You just want to know that what you're doing matters. The next one is the gift of mercy. Maybe you have this gift. You love and assist those who are suffering. 
And then there's the gift of giving. All of us are called to be generous, but some of you have been given the gift of giving. And then finally, the gift of hospitality. I like to put it this way. You can throw a great party for friends and strangers. Yeah, you can throw a great party. You know when you have the gift, people show up because you're so good at it. And you know you don't have it when you throw a party and no one shows up, right? That's the thing. That's the sign right there, okay? So which one or two or three of these do you believe God either put in you new when you trusted Christ or he is repurposing or renovating from what he gave you when you were born. It's important for you to know that. But here is what I've seen over the years. Principle number four, we often cannot see or underestimate our gifting. I have seen this is a big deal. Most of you, when I read that, were unsure. I could see it in your face. I I don't know, maybe, not sure, because we cannot see oftentimes the gifting in us or we underestimate our gifting. This happened to a young man in the New Testament by the name of Timothy. He was given the assignment to go pastor at a young age, the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a a major, major, important, important city. And apparently the people in the church at Ephesus, some of the older people were challenging him and intimidating him. So Paul writes a letter to him called 1 Timothy, and in the very first chapter, Paul, his mentor, is going to encourage him and challenge him about his gifting. Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 18, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to the faith and a good conscience. The prophecies that Paul is speaking about related to uh, the giftingness of Timothy and the prophecy of how that gifting would unfold itself in the future in his life. And Paul is telling him, you either do not see it or you are underestimating that it is in you. Now get after it. Get after it. Fight the good fight. Use your gift. Apparently, Paul's encouragement here might have encouraged him for a little while, but it didn't stick because four or five years later, Paul writes another letter to him simply called 2 Timothy, and in the opening chapter, he reminds him again. Let me read uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. I thank God, Paul writes, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives also in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Sometimes we cannot see the gift that God has given to us, or we underestimate it, we downplay it, and we need somebody, a mentor, a friend, somebody in our life who says, I see you, I see you. And you need to not be timid about this. God gave this to you for a reason. Now fan into flame what God has given you so you can live out your purpose on this earth in honor of him. So a few years ago, Roseanne and I decided to um, check this out. So 
we took the spiritual gifts test. We first of all took it on ourselves, and then we turned around and took the spiritual gifts test on each other. Okay? Now, in the, uh, in the uh, outcome, here's what we, we found. Uh, my, according to my assessment of the, answering the questions, uh, my top gift came out as uh, teaching. Can I get an amen? That was more laughter than affirmation, but that's okay. <laughs> My second gift came out as leadership, as I mentioned before. And my third gift came out as wisdom. All right? Now, when Roseanne took the spiritual gifts test, uh, her top three came out this way. The first one uh, gift for her was discernment. Uh, her second gift that she came up with was the gift of mercy. And the third gift uh, for her was hospitality. <laughs> and if you have been to our house, you know that she has that gift for sure. Okay, so there you go. Now, we took it uh, on each other, and this was the outcome. Roseanne took the spiritual gifts test on me, and uh, uh, this is what she came up with. My first gift uh, she had down was teaching. That's Good confirmation. Uh, but she saw my second gift as wisdom, and she affirmed my third gift as leadership. Man, that is solid. That is solid evidence right there that this may be what God put in me. Now, when I took the spiritual gifts test on her, this is what came out. I saw hospitality as number one. And it's probably because I get the, to experience the benefit of it a lot. So I really gave her high remarks on all of that, for sure. The second one I gave her, interestingly, was the gift of faith. And then the third one that I gave her was the gift of discernment. Okay, that's how I saw her. Roseanne said to me, she said, I have the gift of faith? And I said to her, sweetheart, you do not know that you have the gift of faith? She goes, no. I said, sweetheart, I don't have the gift of faith. You have the gift of faith, which is why we're where we're at today. You believe and trust God at his word with no exception, and we run full in to the stream of the mercy of God because you believe it, and I follow along with you. You know what she did? She started to cry because she did not see that in herself, but I saw it. And that's why, as the body of Christ, we need to encourage the people in our lives Students, our kids, the people we mentor, the people we work alongside of, grab them by the cheeks and say, I, I see you. I see what God has placed in you. You can't see it? It's there. I'm laying my hands on you. Fan it into the flames. The gift that God has given you. Do not underestimate. Do not live in timidity. God does not want you to live in timidity, but he wants you to use your full gift with the time you have left until you see Jesus face to face. Yeah. So do that today with somebody. If you don't know them very well, don't grab them by the cheeks. But, 
But if you know them real well, grab them by the shoulders or the cheeks and say, I see you. Now, it's interesting. The, the bottom gifts for Roseanne and I uh, is really interesting. Uh, for me, my lowest gift, uh, two gifts were uh, discernment was the first one. Yep, it is. And the bottom gift for me was mercy. Yeah, it's been reported that after I visit someone in the hospital, they report to actually feeling worse. Yep, yep. It's, it's actually true. Uh, and then, and for Roseanne, her bottom gifts were teaching. And the last one was leadership. Do you see what's going on here? What I am, Roseanne is not. What Roseanne is, I am not. We come together in harmony with one another and we celebrate each other's giftedness and we don't pick on each other for not being like the other one. And what ends up happening is we get the benefit of that. Our children were raised in the benefit of that. And the work and ministry we do benefits from that. If we can figure that out to celebrate the other's giftedness and not to pick on them. When that happens, amazing things happen. And as it is in the marriage relationship, so it is to be in the body of Christ that we respect each other's giftedness and realize that we cannot accomplish the will of God for which we were left on this earth for without us working together. Can I get an amen? Now, the last thing is, uh, principle number five, is we were given our gifts to serve Others, yeah, our gifts end up benefiting us. Um, we're more successful. Um, yeah, things happen good for us, but the primary reason God gave this to us is that so we could serve others. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Nothing better illustrates this than a real life story. And I've told you a little bit of mine, but I'd like to highlight. Uh, just one West Sider couple that I think has really discovered their gifting, and we've all benefited from it. So please welcome to the stage uh, Ron and Sheila. Let's give it up for them. Thanks, guys, for coming. Absolutely. Thanks okay. for inviting us. You betcha. It's exciting. Um, so, uh, Phil, let's start with you. Uh, you have the gift of mercy, but you actually didn't know it. Tell us the story. So about eight years ago, Jim Heaton, and many will remember who Jim was or is, uh, part of this church for many years, approached me about becoming a Stephen minister. And I said, well, what, is, what does a Stephen minister do? He says, well, they come alongside people who are experiencing a pretty rough patch in their life, maybe the loss of a job, loss of a spouse, financial struggles. And I said, well, you know, Jim, I can relate to some of those things, but I said, I'm not your guy. I've got more issues in Sports Illustrated. <laughs> and he said, no, you're exactly the guy we want. <clears throat> he says, we want people who are wounded healers, and we'll use this term a lot as Stephen ministers, people who have been through the scars and the bruises of life and have come out the other side. And uh, so he saw this gift of mercy in me that I never saw. 
Wow, that's an amazing thing, right? You didn't see it? Didn't but see he, it. He, he called it out in you. I see <laughs> this in you, right? That's really cool. Yeah, uh, that was uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, Sheila, um, you, um, you uh, were not a, a Stevens minister, but you became the recipient of that. Can you tell us the story? Uh, yes, back in 2016, I wasn't feeling well, so I went to the hospital on Monday, and by Friday, they were removing half of my pancreas and spleen and a nine-centimeter tumor. Um, the diagnosis was that I had a very rare cancer. Um, only about 5% of people in the world um, get this type of cancer. And um, so that was my diagnosis. And I would, at the same time, be my mother's caretaker. And she died during this time. And I was responsible for her estate and selling the family farm. So it was a pretty difficult time to keep all those balls up in the air and be doing that for my brother and sisters. And so I um, received, was paired up with a care receiver. And she was young, which I was hesitant about that. But she was also a nurse that specialized in cancer patients. So what better Stephen Minister to have um, she walked alongside me for about a year, um, listened to me, prayed with me, loved on me, and got me through that difficult time. So after that year, my life had calmed down some. Um, I decided that um, I wanted to give back. I felt like the Lord was calling me to, to do something with this. And so I became a Stephen minister. Um, I was paired up with a young lady who had stage four colon cancer. That was my worst fear, is yeah. to be a Stephen minister to someone that had a terminal diagnosis. Yeah. We were together for 10 months, and we walked alongside each other. She spoke to me about her hopes or dreams, and then one day I get a call from her family that, um, she's in the hospital, has taken a turn for the worse, and they wanted us to come up. So Phil went with me. Um, we sat there with her family and prayed with her and loved on her. And then Phil and I left to give them time for the final moments. And I'm still very honored today that I was given that opportunity by her family to be able to say goodbye to her that day. Yeah, so uh, let, me, let me go back to when you... Uh, um, your, your husband's a Stevens minister. Uh, you got paired up with somebody else, young. You underestimated, but the gift of God was in in her, as you reminded her. And, um, and uh, you were able to tell her things, right? That's correct. Um, when you are diagnosed with cancer, um, you're, and not that your family or your spouse expects you to be strong, but you take that on yourself. And so there's things that maybe you can't tell your husband or your family, your fears or, you know, what's, what you're thinking, you know, because you don't want to scare them. And you can tell that Stephen minister anything that 
is on your mind. Yeah, you know, when you first told me that, I thought, man, I tell Roseanne everything. But in this particular situation, it's not because you want to keep it from them for your sake, but for their sake. As a matter of fact, when you were in the hospital with her, you struggled mightily, but didn't share with her uh, what you were really thinking. You would go home at night and cry your eyes out. Is that right? Yes. Yes, that, that's, that's correct. I, in fact, the second time, and Sheila will, will talk more to this, um, but the second time when the cancer came around, um, I had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of worry about that. Though I wanted to be strong for her. I didn't want her to see that side of me. And uh, as a result of that, I uh, was also starting a new position at work, uh, very stressful. People understand stressful jobs. I understand that. But this was all culminated into one. And I was just a hot mess. And so Shirley Payton, one of our leaders, recognized that. And she paired me up with one of our Stephen ministers and walked alongside me for a period of time, which I really needed because I need to express to him the worries that I had and get it out on the table and just kind of hit the dump button, you know. Yeah. And so this uh, gentleman came alongside with me, walked with me, prayed with me, and he got me back on my feet again. Yeah. And I'm very appreciative of that. And so you were able to say things to him that you didn't want to say to Sheila because you didn't want to tell her what was going on so that she would be that much more discouraged, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah Absolutely. that's really cool. Hey, let's go back to when then you become a, a wounded healer, become a Stevens minister. You have the gift of mercy. God awakens it through your first round of cancer, and you've done several, uh, walked with several people over the long haul, but you mentioned this one gal. For 10 months, you walked with her, and uh, you guys were able to walk with her all the way to the last moments where she saw Jesus face to face. That's pretty special, right? Yes. Yeah, that, yeah, very much so. Okay, so now um, uh, Phil has already mentioned this. So you, you guys have this gift. You're ministering, to, and uh, but then you get the news. Yes. Um, every six months I have scans, and I go up to Iowa City, um, Iowa, because they have a unit that specializes in this cancer only. And so before we got home, back to Kansas, my doctor called me, and said, Sheila, it's back. It's on the liver. It's not a very good place on the liver. It's right next to a major artery. And I said, so what are we going to do? And he said, well, I'd like to do monthly injections for at least a year or two. Because with my cancer being rare, it takes 10 years to see if there's going to be other tumors that pop up. So he wants to do the injections up to that 10-year mark and then they will do surgery. And that's always in the back of your mind, um, knowing that that's a surgery that you're gonna have. You're, you're gonna be in Iowa to have it, so you're not gonna be close to your family. But um, at the same time, during that period, um, the exact month I started the injections, I had a friend that was um, died by suicide. And I found my friend. So again, going through a lot of things, not being able to breathe at time. So I had another Stephen minister to yeah. get me through that. And it worked. Yeah. And the one thing I will say is that I have eight years that I was given, that God blessed me with, to be with my family and received a grandson who's four 
And as a grandparent, that is the love of your life, those grandchildren. So you're so, really grateful. Yes, so very how many, grateful. I, 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 do you know how many Stevens ministers we have here at, at, at Westside? Actively, active ministers right now, I believe we have close to 20. 20. Yeah. So we have 20 people, you didn't, may or not know this, 20 people who have the gift of mercy, who don't only have the gift of mercy, but they've stepped up to use that gift to help people in their time of need. See, um, I might be able to encourage you on a Sunday, but when you're in these kinds of situations, you need somebody with the gift of mercy. I can't even imagine walking alongside with somebody for 10 months to a year in their misery. It would just be, well, like I say, people usually report that they feel worse after they spend time with me in this situation. But that is saying that we don't just need the gift of leadership and teaching, we need the gift of mercy. And you can't just have the gift, but you have to use the gift. And when we use the gift, then we collectively achieve the will of God for which we were left on this earth for. And all the church said... Amen. Thank. Let's give it up for Phil and Sheila. Thank you, guys. So point made, uh, two points of application. Number one, we talked about it last week. We will, uh, we will bring it up again for those of you who weren't here. Uh, we have a thing called the shape assessment. And the shape assessment is a, a free assessment to you where you, um, you, you take this, give, us this, give us this feedback on this assessment. And it gives you sort of a comprehensive look at how God has wired you. So we want to encourage you after the service today to go out into the commons area, and you'll see that. Roseanne will be there along with some others, and you just simply pick up this little card. On the back, there's a QR code. You take the free assessment, and then we'll contact you and invite you to have a coaching session with one of our trained shape coaches so that you can better understand what has come to you and so that you might be able to see something you've never seen before about you or you might stop underestimating. And then our goal is that you might take the next step to actually utilize that gift in harmony with the rest of the body of Christ so that we could fulfill the will of God in our life together, which is why we were left here on this earth. So after the service, action step number two, you might have noticed we're having a ministry fest and all of the ministries of our church have a table both inside the church and outside the church. And we're going to invite you to take some time after the service to go uh, to these tables and talk to the people. Some will be able to give you specific things that need to be done. But pick tables that seem to stir up a heart or passion in you and see what is there. So that at the end of the day, we might activate every part of the body. So six months after my lower back went out, this little disc, I tried... Uh, all kinds of therapy and finally everyone agreed I needed to get surgery and the surgery fixed the problem and I can sleep again I can walk I can run and most importantly now I can not only play with my kids but I can pick up my grandkids and uh, that really matters to me and I will never underestimate again that little one inch disc in the lower part of my back and I'll tell you why because I just got a recent MRI that reveals that I have a, a bulging disc between C4 and C5 and uh, it's the same kind of deal and apparently my thoracic spine hasn't been doing the work it's supposed to do so it put too much pressure on my neck my uh, cervical spine and it, this is what probably caused this issue because one part of the body 
See, it hurts for me to even do this. One part of the body wasn't doing what it was supposed to do, so it hurt another part of the body. And so we're getting after getting this part of the body active so that the whole body can achieve the will of God. The same thing is true. If you sit this out, then one part of the body is not doing what they need to do so we can accomplish the will of God in our life until he comes. Can I get an amen?